After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! September is with us. The Stanley Cup playoffs continue. It seems a little backwards. Shouldn't we really be getting excited for the start of training camp and who's going to make the roster this year? Uh, of course, I mean which roster of NHL officials and linesmen, Josh. I don't, I don't mean teams, but it's just, it's just, it's still a little backwards. But I'm embracing it. I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying the hockey as much as anything. Ah, it's, it's been some great hockey. But you're right. This is right around the time when officials' training camp is ramping up. We're looking at any staffing changes as who's coming on board and which officials are, are getting cut. But instead of that, we've got playoff cuts coming up within each round. So it's, it's been some good hockey. But the timing, timing is very interesting for sure. We telegraphed it a week ago, and we got our goalie <laughs> interference call. Yay! Uh, you knew it. You knew it had to be coming. I mean, it was just a matter of time, right? All right. So we'll get into that. We will get into some other calls that were made and weren't made, and some other discussions and reminders of the rules on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. It is powered by Team Stripes. Check them out online. GoTeamStripes.com is the website. They have officiating equipment, apparel, whatever you need. GoTeamStripes.com is the website. To follow us on our social media channels, to get Josh, it of course is at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. To follow me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and on Instagram. If you have questions, hit us up through a DM or send us an email, heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. I think we're almost obligated to start with the goalie interference, don't you think? Oh, for sure, for sure. It's uh, It hasn't been a controversial topic in the playoffs so far, we've had plenty of offside calls when it came to coaches' challenges, but goaltender interference was bound to rear its ugly head, and it did. Okay, so it's in the Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Islanders series. It was an Islander goal by Matt Barzell, it turned out, that was reviewed. The review did not take quite as long as I thought, and I'm a bit curious about that, but because there, I think there were a number of areas that could be looked at, and I'm sure were, and again, if we had greater clarity of explanation, I think that might have helped in the understanding process. But just to sum up, Josh Bailey banked the puck off Matt Barzell. Barzell was pushed into the crease. But the question became, did he make enough of an attempt to leave the crease before the puck actually glanced off him and went in on goal. Just give me your your first impressions when you viewed this particular scene, Josh. Well, first off, Todd, was obviously Barzal was pushed in. There's, there's yes. no question Pitlick shoved him in. Pitlick ends up in the net. So Barzal's in the crease because of a defending player. So my first thought is, well, this is not going to be goaltender interference because the only reason he's in there is because the Flyers defenseman pushed him in. Now, he was in there a little bit longer than, I'd say, instantaneous. Mm -hmm. But if you watch, you've got Ivan Provorov in front of him on the other side. So it, it's not exactly an easy path for Barzal to leave. You know, we've seen times when guys get pushed in and they just park themselves there and they're they're not obstructed. You know, with the pile up, you've got Hart moving to his left to, to think about making a save. You've got Pitlick in the net with his legs sticking out. You've got Provorov going down in front. 
to me, the pileup resulted from Pitlick's initial push. Whatever happened was was because of that, and and I felt looking at it that there's no way that this isn't goaltender interference, but there's no way that it's not the result of the defending player's actions. So I I was initially thinking it was going to be a good goal, but of course we can't do that without a, an additional look via coach's challenge. And the course the coach's challenge came, I think they gave Alain Vigneault plenty of time to view this yes. and really make a decision whether or not he was going to challenge. So I give the, the officials props for that. A couple of other things were pointed out as well, and I don't know how this plays into the decision, but, but I think you're right. Because it was a pileup, it, it was almost like Barzell was swimming in the ball pit trying to get out as, as <laughs> yes. kind of the best, the best description I can think of. But it also struck me that he seemed to be holding on to Provorov's stick. Now, I don't know if that was on purpose, accidental, or accidentally on purpose. Uh, yeah, it was hard for me to see, and I have to go back and take another look, but there was definitely some uh, a stick being held, and I couldn't tell if it was him holding the stick or, or the stick clamped under the armpit to try to draw a call there but there was a, a bunch of tangled players and sticks going on there and certainly you know you you don't want a guy who's in the crease who's holding the stick of a defending player and trying to justify his existence in the crease and that is something that the league can look for when they're mm-hmm. reviewing this so, you know they're looking for goaltender interference and it, it doesn't just immediately mean that well Pitlick pushed him in that's a it's a wash but you you want to see if he's made an attempt to vacate the crease and certainly doing something like that would show me as an official that he's not trying to leave he's trying to stay put and he's trying to find a reason or an excuse to stay there that's part of the review and and i think when you look at the big picture of it of what was going on it was all brought on because of the positioning of the flyers player or players in preventing barzal from having that that path to leave so a uh, tough call to argue with i know it's a, a tough goal to give up there when you're looking at a play like this with a pile up and certainly carter hart had no chance to play his position he, he wasn't able to make a save there but uh, it, it does come back to to me that well, it all happened because of the flyers player pushing him in and making it more difficult for him to vacate it it seems that the Flyers player got the Islander player into the crease and the result of the collision also prevented him from extricating himself. Is that a good way to phrase it? Yeah, I think I think that's that's right on its on its face there. And then you, you throw Provorov into the mix and you've, you've got a, an additional layer of complication there. So I think that's a, a good way to put it. And, uh, you know, I think in this case, the right call was made. I, I would agree with you. I think the right call is made, and I suspect there may be other challenges of this sort that we'll have to navigate through as the, the playoffs move on. At least I certainly hope there are for us, our sake. <laughs> oh, you know, there's bound to be a game six, game seven with a, a goaltender interference challenge. It's it's inevitable, and uh, yeah, we're, we're right on schedule for that one. <laughs> okay, I look forward to that. Also in this game, I think it serves as a, a good opportunity for a reminder about how the rule works. This particular rule works in the NHL. Claude Giroux is shooting the puck into the New York Islander zone and has his stick come up and catch under the visor of Barzal as well. And that's the key part. He was shooting the puck. It was a normal follow through. And I noticed that you were quick off the mark on social media and on the website, scuttingtherefs.com, that no penalty is warranted in this area. That's right. And, and it's not true across the board, across every league. But in the NHL, there's no penalty for this one because uh, you you do have obviously a high stick anytime you're making contact with an opposing player uh, with your stick above the shoulders. But the NHL does allow for accidental contact during normal windup of a shot or follow through of a shot. 
Now, it doesn't apply if you're waving at a, a bouncing puck or a loose puck there. It's, it's purely on a shoot-in, which this was by Giroux. So in this case, it, it's an unfortunate play. Uh, it's a scary play, too, for Barzell in, in hoping that there's no injury. Mm -hmm. But under NHL rules, it's the right call that there's no high stick on the follow-through. Now, if we're in USA Hockey, totally different. That's, that is a high stick. You're getting a penalty for that one. But in the NHL, injury or not, a uh, follow-through is, is never going to be called as a high-sticking penalty, and, and that was the right call in this play. I think that's good for the reminder. And it, it also makes me wonder, would it be good if the NHL did have a consistent approach, as some other leagues do, that you have to be responsible for your stick, whatever the, the case may be, whether it's wind-up, follow-through, if you, if you inflict a, an injury or cause a, a high stick and contact a player, then it's still a penalty. I think it's interesting when you look across leagues at the, the variances in rules and, and how different leagues interpret it. Obviously, having everybody as close as they could be or, or following the same type of interpretation would be ideal. It'd be nice for kids that come up through, from USA Hockey, Hockey Canada, everywhere else to know all the way growing up that this is how high sticks are, are handled and this is how it would be treated. But uh, I, I think you know the NHL just has a little bit more leeway there, whether it's historical or what, what the reasoning was behind it but it's something that the players and the officials all have to adapt to on what is or isn't a call at that level so i you know i think i think it's something that we we see infrequently enough it's it's something that the nhl is willing to live with that it's not a penalty or i guess to put it loosely you're not responsible for your stick when you're shooting a puck. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's probably a lot of goalies that would say that too don't you think <laughs> Okay. No, it's it, it's just, it's it's stuff that in terms of safety that also it's it's revisited on a regular basis by the National Hockey League. Anything that involves safety, they they revisit this and don't just, you know, leave it there forever and and never review that kind of calls again. No, that's that's absolutely right. And I I think this is one of those things that's infrequent enough that it's it's not a a top priority or a top consideration when it comes to rule changes to to pull this part out but there are certainly those plays and, and this is a good example of one when you do end up with a high stick on a follow-through and and one that may potentially cause a serious injury which again you know hoping barzell's okay after that one the scouting the rest podcast is powered by team stripes check them out online go teamstripes.com apparel training tools equipment whatever you need they are the official providers a couple of other things i want to get into they're more discussion type topics, and I think it's it's good to discuss in terms of how the rule is looked at, how the rule is implemented from what it exactly reads in the NHL rule book to the practical application out on the ice. And the first one got a lot of people's attention involving the Dallas Stars' Corey Perry and the Colorado Avalanche Nathan McKinnon, a hit in game four of this series late in the second period. McKinnon seems to have the puck in the zone, in the offensive zone, and has contact with Corey Perry, and the Dallas forward goes flying. Some might say embellishing. It's McKinnon that gets whistled for a penalty on the play, and I thought the call was interesting in that it was interference. Can you help shed a little bit of light on this one? Yeah, I see where they're coming from on this play. I, I get the call. I don't necessarily agree with the call that was made, but I can see where it came from. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking for an interference, you're really looking for body, body position or preventing somebody from being able to play the puck. Now, we have the benefit of the center ice overhead camera angles. The referees are positioned 
one you know far deep in the zone there one yep. closer to center ice and in both cases they're looking at perry's back so they're not necessarily in the best spot to see mckinnon play the puck and I can understand from that point of view and, and given their their positioning, which was not incorrect, it, it just happened to be where they were relative to the play at the time, right. where this may have looked like a pick play. So if you've got McKinnon and Perry going for the puck, neither one of them has possession, McKinnon takes out Perry on the way to the puck to presumably clear himself some more space, you're looking at an interference penalty because he, he, he made a pick, he knocked the guy out of the play, the guy wasn't playing the puck. So in that case, it would have been the correct call. What I have to imagine is that the official didn't catch that McKinnon had actually played the puck or was in possession of the puck at the time of the hit. It it really turned into him getting the puck and almost uh, delivering a reverse check onto Perry and letting Perry bounce off his shoulder. Mm-hmm. So in looking at it in replay, I see it as a legal play. But I can absolutely understand why the call on the ice may have differed just based on us having that additional benefit there. And I think that's the other great thing about this podcast and, of course, the website is helping to educate and help people understand in terms of what the officials see from their line of sight is different than what you and I see watching on television or even in the building because you're higher up off the ice than than the officials are. They There are times where they do not have an ideal view of one particular part of the ice, depending on how the players are converging on the puck, as they were in this case. And it may distort their view, if you will, of what is actually taking place. Right. And it's just, it's human nature. It's the nature of the game. You know, you you watch this play and the official that was posted near the net ends up going behind the net, then ends up coming back out. So his line of sight is through a goalie, through a bunch of players. And the, the puck is certainly obscured by McKinnon and Perry. So the officials discussed it in this case. You know, you're you're looking with your crew to see did anybody have a better angle on it? Did anybody see if if something else changed here? Because while penalty calls typically aren't eligible for reviews, with with few exceptions around match penalties and majors, the officials can huddle together to discuss the call before sending the guy to the box. And if you have, say, a linesman who says, "Hey, you know what? I saw it. He played the puck. It shouldn't have been a call." They can hash that out among their foursome before the penalty is actually assessed. So they have that opportunity. They did it. And they they still called the penalty on the play. So, I, you know, I, I can understand where they're coming from. But, you know, in, in the true sense of the interference rule, I, I think we were looking more to me like a like a reverse hit on the play and uh, not necessarily a pick. And that's kind of the, the one I was going to refer to that. I, I see that reverse hit, the the famous Forsberg hit that I think he was the first to initiate. And it seems to me that is and could be regularly called interference because the 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 opponent that's coming to check you has not played the puck right and i I think that's the that's that's the gray area on that one is you know are are you delivering a check are you bracing for impact and letting him deliver the check that you're braced for so that you deflect the brunt of it back to him or are you actually putting your body out to hit a player who is not in possession nor playing the puck and uh, that's it's a tough one for the officials. You know, it's one of those things that it's an innovation in the game and something we hadn't seen before and something that definitely makes one rethink the rule book and say, well, let's let's render an interpretation of where this falls. And typically we've seen it not not necessarily come down as an interference penalty. But I, I would say there are certainly some cases where it, it could be and it's it's not specifically addressed in there. So it's it's purely up to the officials interpretation and, and the league's interpretation on what their stance is on whether those plays are legal or illegal. And I can assure you, Todd, that 
the NHL officials did watch this play and circulate it among the officials, which typically it's via email after the game, but mm-hmm. they may have, being in the bubble, had a chance to sit down together and talk through it. But this is one of those plays that they'll circulate among the crews and say, here was the call on the play. Here's our take on it and why we think it may or may not have been the correct call. So I'm sure that this is one of those ones that went up for discussion and and the officials working in the playoffs all got in front of it and all had some feedback from the officiating management team. I suspect that the next scenario I want to mention to you also was circulated amongst the officials in both of the bubbles. This one has to do with game number five between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins. And I can understand that there was probably some frustration on on the team's part, but also some watching that some instances were called penalties and others weren't. And it makes you kind of wonder... It made me ask the question, what is a tripping penalty? Now, there's some obvious some obvious scenes out on the ice where you can say, oh yeah, that's tripping, where you hook the blade of your stick around an opponent's ankle and yank and, and they go flying. But there were several calls made in this one with Tampa and Boston, and there were a couple of calls that were not made by Jean Hébert and Gord Dwyer. And I'm just kind of wondering if you can give us the the actual rule and how how that's implemented and interpreted by the referees working the game. Sure, Todd. So Rule 57 covers tripping. Uh, In its definition, it's that tripping is a player shall not place the stick, knee, foot, arm, hand, or elbow in a manner that causes his opponent to trip or fall. And a minor penalty is, is what you'll get if you do place your stick or a portion of your body in such a manner that it causes your opponent to trip and fall. Now, there's a little leeway there for accidental trips. Mm -hmm. If it happens simultaneously with a completed play or accidental trips with or after a stoppage of play, not necessarily penalized there. So when we're looking at a completed play, we're seeing if uh, certain situations, if uh, two guys are at center ice, the guy passes the puck, he ends up down, but he has completed that and uh, that, you know, the play has moved on elsewhere. It, It may not be called, assuming that it's accidental. What the officials are typically looking for is... What was the impact of the trip? You know, was there a change in possession? Did one team gain a distinct advantage as a result of the trip? We don't typically see injuries, but that's always a consideration too. Was this a dangerous trip where a player had the potential for injury on the play? And and those are the criteria when you're looking for, was this accidental? Was it a guy stepping on a stick? Did he intentionally place his stick there? And how much of it was him making a play for the puck versus, you know, intentionally trying to, like you said, you grab the guy's ankle with your stick there so it's all those factors that come in it's what makes it difficult because it's not very black and white on saying well if your stick contacts the player it's a trip and we're going to call it every time because holy cow that's that's something you couldn't even (laughs) adapt to there'd be so many whistles so it, it it's a lot of judgment and it's really assessing the play and assessing the impact of what happened from that action when you're making the calls so sometimes you may see one where it, it appears to be more egregious, but we're not seeing a change of possession. We're, we're not seeing uh, or we're seeing the completed play and there's no big impact to the game on the ice. Yes, the guy goes down, but the overall impact of that trip was negligible and it was accidental. Well, then you might not get a whistle. And then in other cases that depending on the, the very detailed specifics uh, that might determine when you do get a penalty on the play. That was an excellent explanation, and this is why I wanted to bring up the topic, because in each of these instances, it was two players that were trying to gain possession of the puck and either make a pass or make a play, but it was 
it, it, it around it was around a puck battle. And I suspect that that's where the difficulty arises in making the call and where you need that little bit of room to make an interpretation of the result of the play. In every puck battle, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. How big an impact did the one player going down make on the play? Right, and and you can't call the penalty purely because you see a guy go down. You you can't see a guy on the ice and say, oh, it must have been a trip. You have to see the actual infraction take place, and you're looking for whether it was caused by the opposing player, whether, I mean, we've seen tripping calls when the guy steps on the puck, and those are unfortunate calls because the guy goes down, uh, sometimes an arm goes up, and, and you're in the box, and on replay you see, well, he didn't get hit by the stick, he stepped on the puck and fell down, and you certainly don't want to make one of those. You want to see it and call it as you see it. So it's it's not an easy spot, especially when you've got guys coming together and you've got sticks and pucks and skates and everything all in one spot converged. And, and you really have to use your judgment in those situations. A couple of more quick things I want to get to on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast powered by Team Stripes. He's Josh. I'm Todd. Follow us on social media at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram for Josh at Todd Lewis Sports for me on Twitter and Instagram as well. I was looking up who the referees were that worked the game between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins to bring up that topic, and of course was Jean Hébert and Gord Dwyer. If you are doing the same looking for referee information or linesman information, go to the website scoutingtherefs.com. And I don't know if you have an answer for this, Josh, but can you explain to me why the NHL lists three referees and three (laughs) linesmen in the box score? I know that there is a backup for each, but do they need to be listed in the game summary? Shouldn't they be listed as scratches? Oh, oh, that's a that's a good one. Well, I, I guess not not necessarily a scratch, right? Because they could come into the game. So they're they're technically standby officials. And in the releases that we get from the league, they they do indicate that they are on standby. But it does make it a little bit confusing when you're going back through some of the league's info to see three names listed. And there's not necessarily any rhyme or reason or order as to which ones were working and which one right. was on standby. But yes, each game does have a standby referee and a standby linesman in typical playoffs we we see a rotation there we see some guys that are dedicated as standby officials the the benefit of the bubble is that we've got whole crews just sitting parked for the night so they've got guys they can just tap and it's been easy for them to have a dedicated referee and linesman for each game but otherwise we've had a dedicated standby official and he'll fill in either as a referee or a linesman depending on what happens in the games and if a referee is unable to continue it is interesting to note though todd that of the guys that were selected when we made the round two cuts for officials that were working the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, they did designate some standby referees and linesmen outside of the bubble who, in a worst case scenario, would be the guys that may be tapped to come back in. And of course, they'd have to follow the quarantine procedures and all the, the rigorous guidelines to get in, but that they do have even that emergency crew that's uh, available should something happen, whether it's a, a playoff ending injury or or uh, someone that tested positive and was no longer able to participate in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So we've got those standby guys that are in the bubble. They've got guys outside the bubble, and it's the standby crew that is is messing up those <laughs> those game so, notes for you on the NHL site. <laughs> so are you, are you telling me, and this is my childish seven-year-old humor there are some innies and some outies <laughs> there, there there are indeed we've got innies we've got outies and uh well you, you know you can't pick what you are it's just decided <laughs> for you okay one more quickie before we wrap up we will recommend that you check out the nhl's latest edition of the live mic you were quick to put that out and it's it's a great 
bit of insight in terms of the discussion that takes place and the communication that takes place between the referees and the players and coaches and everyone else. Oh, I, I love hearing those. And uh, if, you know, if you're on Twitter, Thomas Drance does a great job of keeping up with some of the comments that he's hearing in the bubble yes. there in Edmonton. So always, always fun to hear that because you do get some exchanges that might not make the cut for the mic'd up videos. But I love when the NHL puts these out, especially now because there's, there's so much and the audio is so good because we don't have fans or crowd noise there to hear the exchanges that take place. And, and the latest one from the NHL is a nice exchange between referee Chris Rooney and Ryan Reeves, where Reeves is calling him out on a couple penalties. But my favorite is, and I don't know which referee it was, but one of the officials working the Islanders game with Anders Lee yelling, helmet, 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 as Lee is engaging in the play without wearing his helmet. And then moments later is called for a penalty for playing without a helmet. So it's that's a terrific example to me of seeing you know, they're not just blowing the whistle. They're not just calling the penalty. They're communicating constantly, letting these guys know, especially with the helmet rule mm-hmm. or, or, you know, having those discussions after the whistle, like we saw with the Flyers Carter Hart for stopping the puck outside the goal crease. It's an ongoing dialogue that isn't always, hey, you're getting a penalty for this. It's letting people know where the line is, letting them know what's going on and trying to help these guys out on the ice to say, you know, don't make me have to call this. Go to the bench. And if you don't, I have to blow the whistle and uh, need to see it in action in that mic'd up video. We're here with information and understanding, just like the referees are providing out on the ice. Absolutely. And, uh, and you know, they're, they're the experts. I wish we could get more commentary from them. You know, I'd love to hear feedback as we do in some of these videos on the discussions around the goaltender interference debate or the offside challenges, when you can actually hear them talking through some of the details or even what they're looking for. So there's a ton to learn from watching this. And even if it's just understanding what they're looking at, what they're considering on each of the plays. So uh, very, very educational and informative for what kind of conversations take place and even between the officials and the NHL situation room. Good information out on the ice, and we look forward to being back next week with another edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. I don't know if we'll have any more goaltender interference, Josh, but there is no shortage of situations out on the ice, and I look forward to dissecting once again. The Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out, goteamstripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Scouting the Refs, Instagram at Scouting the Refs, and visit scoutingtherefs.com.